Welcome to the Gospel Rain Podcast, part of the teaching ministry of Dr. Matt Brown and Dr. Micah Carter. We hope you will find gospel-centered answers to your questions about theology and the Christian life. And now, we welcome you to the Gospel Rain Conversation. Welcome back to the Gospel Rain Podcast. I'm sitting here with Matt, and we're excited to be back behind the microphone and kind of talking about some gospel-centered matters and also maybe just some things of uh, general ministry or theology interest that we're kind of working through. And today's going to be one of those episodes. Uh, last time we, we covered um, kind of a biblical theology spanning many books of the Old Testament into the New, but today we kind of want to laser focus in on on one book, and, and in particular, the book of Ecclesiastes, and and maybe do some some background and some profiling of the book and to kind of get us into this. Matt, you're going to be preaching a series through the book of Ecclesiastes yeah. coming up, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I don't know whose idea that was. <laughs> <laughs> well, as, you're, as we're going to talk about, maybe you'll help us, uh, maybe you'll help us understand a little bit a little bit more of the tenor of the book of Ecclesiastes because it's almost kind of like, you know, (laughs) you don't walk away with a whole bunch of happiness from it because everything's vanity, right? Yeah, everything's meaningless, right? Everything's empty. Uh, It's it's an odd book. A lot of people don't read it in their personal quiet time, uh, (laughs) things like that. Uh, It has been used a lot. People will often quote it. But oftentimes I quote it out of context, right? And because um, there's a there's a there's an underlying context to the book, and you got to be familiar with that in order to give some understanding to the vanity that is found in, throughout the book. But that is that is one of the common uh, phrases throughout the whole book. Is it, depending on what translation you're reading out of, yeah. uh, the King James says vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Um, the CSB that uh, yeah. that you and I both read and preach from now, uh, thanks to you, mm-hmm. is. Um, it's it's uh, sort of called uh, uh, futility is the word that's used there. Right. Um, one writer said that that word literally can be translated meaningless, mm-hmm. and so it's used in the singular and the plural. So it would sort of come across as like meaninglessness of meaninglessness is <laughs> is sort of what that that would be translated. That's so, pretty descriptive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. the point is that everything is like empty and there's no meaning in life. You know. Yeah. And this goes on for chapters, and and yeah. if uh, if you don't know what you're reading, you can read this stuff and go, what in the What's what am I reading? On? That God yeah. is not even in the book. I mean, yeah. it's like where is He and and this does not this does not in any way look like the Christian point of view that, right. that life is meaningless. But he does. He goes on for chapters and chapters, and um, there is obviously redeeming value to the book. I mean, you read it, they, you you find there are a lot of nuggets here, and we'll yeah. point out some of these things that sort of draw us to the fact that that uh, like they did the author of the book that that uh, there is meaning in life. We just right. got to know where that meaning comes from. We yeah. got to have a proper perspective. Well, before life. we jump into some of those particulars, um, you know, culture probably knows a little something about Ecclesiastes from chapter three, because it is kind of popularized in a song uh, by the birds in 1965, you know, to everything, turn, 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 turn. Yeah, that's it. Season, turn. <laughs> well, that, that's from Ecclesiastes chapter three. Yeah, and you know that it, to everything there is a season, and so you know there there are some redeeming qualities to this book, and obviously it's inspired uh, to be in in holy scripture. Yeah, and we want to make the most of it. So, help us um, talk a little bit about maybe authorship because I think that's probably uh, 
not controversial, but probably yeah. a difficult thing to arrive at. And then maybe some of the some of the other things. You know, why, why is the, you and I were talking about this before the before the podcast today? The tenor of the book seeming so downcast mm-hmm. and hopeless and meaningless yeah. or whatever. Um, maybe there's a reason for that in terms of when the book was written yeah. and stuff like that. So help us see some of maybe these nuggets that we can hang onto as we read the book of Ecclesiastes. Yeah, pretty cool. I, I, as I've done a lot of just background study and getting ready for a series uh, in the book, which, by the way, uh, any good pastor, that preacher that's going to preach a series in a book will do a lot of background work yeah. uh, to t- try to learn about the background of the book before he gets into it himself. It's not stuff that I'm going to share with everybody from the pulpit necessarily, but it is good background information. But you get into it, and the, the authorship of the book is disputed still some. Uh, the traditional author of the book, which has normally been taken, is Solomon, yeah. uh, King Solomon. Uh, for several reasons, and I won't get into all those, but but we know that Solomon wrote uh, most of the Proverbs, and so in some ways, the book of Proverbs sounds a little bit like Ecclesiastes mm-hmm. in that there are some Proverbs in Ecclesiastes. But the problem with that is some people say, well, they don't they don't look exactly like because Proverbs seems very hopeful. Mm-hmm. Ecclesiastes seems, seems very hopeless, mm-hmm. and so although there may be Proverbs in both, they don't look a lot uh, alike, and that may be true, and uh, and so that's caused some dispute as to who the author may be. The timing of the the writing, we don't know exactly when the book was written, and so that gives us a little bit of uh, a little bit of pause to think. Well, maybe do we know that Solomon wrote it or not? Um, we know some things uh, in the very first chapter when it opens because actually the author of the book actually refers to himself yeah. as a son of David right. and a king. Now the king only over Israel in Jerusalem. That's right. So the yeah. only king in Jerusalem that was a son of David was Solomon. So that's yeah. traditionally why we've taken him to be the author. Now again that's disputed because there's some other places like I can't remember which chapter. I think it's in chapter 7 maybe where uh the the author says I I am the I have I am the most wise among all the kings who have ever been in Jerusalem. Right. Well, by this time, by Solomon's time, there had only been two, David and Saul, which was before him. So it sounds like he's talking about a multiple uh kings who had been before him, but there weren't but two. And uh, so some have said, uh, that doesn't sound like Solomon saying that. So there's some things that are Solomon-esque, and there's some things that are not. Man, there's there's a lot of good content in the book, though. There you, know, really you, you learn a lot about the Lord. You learn a lot about humanity. There's, there's one passage that always struck me as uh, both intriguing and encouraging. And that's chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 where it says, Consider the work of God, for who can straighten out what he has made crooked? Mm-hmm. Okay, stop right there. <laughs> I would expect that to be vice yeah. versa. <laughs> who can make crooked, make crooked what he's made straight? That's right. But it doesn't say that. No. In the days of prosperity, be joyful. In the days of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other, so that no one can discover anything that will come after him. And, man, you know what? I've I've used that so many times in counseling situations and times of grief and sorrow that look, God has made the one as well as the other. He knows this, That's right. you know, and, and he, he's got you. That's right. So look to him, you know, don't try to be wise in your own eyes, but look to him. That's right. In this way. There's a lot of good stuff in this book. If you look back at chapter one, this uh, provides a little bit of context for understanding all of this meaninglessness in mm-hmm. the book. 
Um, it says in chapter 1, verse 1, the words of the teacher, all right, the teacher or in King James, I think it's called the preacher. Uh, the preacher or the teacher, this is identified as the uh, kohelet is the Hebrew word for it. Um, but it is um, it's something like that, a preacher or a teacher. Um, son of David, king in Jerusalem. There again, we identify that quickly as, as Solomon. But it goes on to say, absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility. Everything is futile. Right. So in, in one verse, you've got the same word three times, which means if he hasn't made his point by the first time that he said it, by the third time that he says it, this is his point. Life is absolutely meaningless. Life is absolutely futile and empty. All right. But then he goes on, though, and gives us a little bit of perspective. He says in verse three, what does a person gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? Hmm. All right. The phrase under the sun is repeated several times in the book. If you understand this phrase, it helps to give some context to the rest of the book. Okay. Mm -hmm. Under the sun, he's meaning everything simply here on earth. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you understand that, the writer is saying, is it, and we'll just say for the sake of uh, ease here, that, that Solomon is the one who wrote this, right? So Solomon says... That everything, in other words, what does a person gain for all of his efforts, everything that he has done or labors at under the sun? If we understand the under the sun to be the proper place for understanding the book, he's simply meaning throughout the book, and I'm sort of simplifying, but he's simply meaning that everything on this earth with no heavenly or eternal perspective in mind is essentially worthless. Yeah. And he goes on through the book to say, believe me, I've tried it. He said, I just set out, he says this in chapter 1, I set out myself to prove. And I wanted to see if there was any meaning in any part of life. Mm -hmm. All right, And he said, so I did it on my own. Now, this is one of the reasons why people believe that Solomon, again, is the author of this book, is because Solomon may have been the only one with the means to try all this right. stuff, right? right? Most of us wouldn't have the means to go, I'm going to try everything in life. Mm -hmm. Well, you couldn't afford it, mm -hmm. but Solomon could. So Solomon tried everything. He tried everything as far as any kind of pleasure, any kind of possessions. He tried women and sex. He tried Anything under the sun he could get his hands on, he went after it to see, is there any happiness in that? And there's other parts of Scripture that seem to support that in terms of his biography. That's right. We're outside of Ecclesiastes. That's right. Those, those kinds of things. Exactly. Yeah. And so we tried it all. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, even you go back and look in, in his story in First Kings where he, he bought it all. He had it all. He, he, he did it all. He, every, you know, he went everywhere. He had everything. And so he's able to say, and finally in the book of Ecclesiastes, look, I've done all this. I've tried it all. And literally, with no eternal perspective, mm -hmm. life's worthless here. I mean, if this is all there is, this is it. There's nothing left. I mean, there's nothing to this life. It all ends up in emptiness. And he said, I, everything left me unhappy. Everything left me as a, you know, everything that I thought would make me happy didn't make me happy. And man, what a great, what a great thing for us in this world and yes. our culture right now to say, hey, look, this is, this is real life. Yes. This is where the rubber meets the road. And this is what a lot of people, a lot of commentators have said is this book probably more than ever fits our context so well because people are constantly looking for something that's going to make them happy. That's right. Something that's going to fulfill them. 
And Solomon gives us the answer to all that and says it's not going to work. I mean, you can look everywhere and do everything and spend money on anything you want. It's not going to work. It's not going to bring you the happiness that you're that you're looking for. So the, the, the phrase under the sun helps us understand a little bit more what Solomon is meaning. Yeah. He's not saying to us, Again, this is oversimplification because there's a lot of work that has to be done in the book to get to it. But he's an oversimplification is to simply say, if this is all you're looking for, you're not going to find it here. You're not going to find happiness in this life. It's not. It's not. Doesn't exist down here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the under under the sun gives us the per, the proper perspective for the book. So it's interesting that a lot of people will quote the chapter that you uh, <laughs> you you thought you uh, said something about chapter three, mm-hmm. where there's a time and a season for everything, time and season for everything, time and season. But if you read that in its proper context, you get to the bottom of that, uh, and it basically doesn't help you. All of those things is Solomon's basic way of saying things happen and things keep happening yep. and things keep happening and nothing is ever resolved. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, there's a season for everything, but guess what? It's still meaningless. It's still meaningless. <laughs> you come to the end of the season and guess what? Another season's dark. Yes. So it's like good and bad keep yes. happening and yes. the, the, the clock keeps... But literally, if understood rightly, Solomon is saying even the changing of the seasons is evidence that nothing is ever going to get resolved down here, right. at least in that sense. So so all the way through this, it's, it's really cool to hear all this. So my thing as a preacher is now, how do you preach this stuff? Yeah. How do you, how do you, but anyway. Well, I think you've done a great job putting it in context to exactly the heart of the matter. If you set your hope on this world, you will leave, you will be, Completely disappointed. Oh, absolutely. And frustrated. I, I, and I think I mean, that's look, the point. Yeah. Let's be honest. For a season, for a season, and maybe this is chapter three, for a season, money and things might make you happy, but it won't last. Mm. For a season, relationships and sex might make you happy, but it won't last. That's right. For a season, you know, popularity might, whatever, whatever you want to put in there. And, and that's part of the irony and the, um, the smoke screen that the devil uses about capturing That's us in right. the world. So John says, don't love the world or the things in the world. The lust of the eyes, the pride of life, those things. All of that's passing away. That's right. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. And I think there is where the fullness of joy is found. That's right. And and if that's what Solomon is pushing us into, praise God. Yeah, that's what we need. Absolutely. Yeah. It really is a, a, a great book. There are some good, like I said earlier, some really good nuggets right after that passage that you were talking about earlier, this a time and a season for everything. Um, that's in chapter 3. In verse 9, it said, What does the worker gain from his struggles? I've seen the tag. He doesn't really answer that question, uh, and that's intended is to sort of sort of see uh, leave you mean uh, helpless and, and hopeless. He said, I've seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. It's yeah. as if God has just created us and then put us here to just keep us occupied for a time, and it doesn't mean anything. But he goes on to say in verse 11, this is really cool, he has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also put eternity in their hearts. But no one can discover, can discover the work of the work God has done from beginning to end, which I think is really cool. Where he says God has put eternity in their hearts, and I think what Solomon is trying to get at is to help us see: yes, this life lived just for this life is absolutely hopeless and meaningless. Mm. But we, in verse eleven, are built for eternity. Mm. We are crafted for eternity. God built us that way. He built us with the ability, 
after we've been created to live forever. Mm. And so he put eternity in our hearts. Where we find utter hopelessness is when we're living for the temporary. When we're living for right now and we're trying to gain our happiness in this life from the things that are around us, there will be no satisfaction or happiness. The only way we find that is that if we're living in light of eternity, Mm. not now. Yeah, isn't it interesting? Okay, so you read verse 11, then you go from 12 to 14 where he says, enjoy the good life. These are gifts yeah. from God. Mm-hmm. But your point your point is that how often do we love and focus on the gift rather than the gift giver? That's right. And he says in verse 14, I know that everything God does will last forever. There's no adding to it or taking away from it. God works so that people will be in awe of him. Amen. Too many times, man, I think you're right, we, we're in awe of things, money, people, achievement. We're in, we stand in awe of things rather than in awe of God. It's like we're, we're worshiping Romans 1, the created things, rather than the creator. Yep. You want to talk about ultimate futility. That's it. Ultimate meaninglessness is setting our hearts upon things that will not. That's what Jesus said. You know, moss going to eat this stuff up. Rust is going to take right. it away. Thieves can steal it. Man, right. store up treasures in heaven. Yeah. The eternal mindset you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. You know, the irony of the verse you just read in verse 13, where he says, um, it is also the gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks, or enjoys all his efforts. Mm-hmm. The irony of that verse is he's just said in the first three chapters, I, there is no enjoyment in what you eat, what you drink, and the and the enjoyment of life. There is no enjoyment of life. Wow! And then in verse thirteen, after verse eleven, he has made he has helped us to see. And here is the great thing: is that all of the things what we do, what we drink, what we eat, and all the the enjoyable things of life, and being able to enjoy our efforts, those things will not be fully enjoyed unless we look at them in light of eternity. Hmm. If we look at life in light of eternity. We can enjoy what we eat and what we drink in the efforts of, the, of our life. We can, yeah. And he says this multiple times in the book. Multiple times he will say, eat and drink and enjoy life. Mm-hmm. Enjoy, enjoy the work of your hands. I think that's a gift from God to enjoy Me life. Too. But yeah. you can't enjoy it if your heart is not set on eternity. If, yeah. you're, if you're seeking for those things to bring you happiness, it won't happen. Yeah. If you seek for God to bring you that happiness, then you can enjoy the things that he's given you here. Do you think that? Do you think Paul's hinting at something similar when he says, whether you eat or drink, whatever yeah. you do, do all for the glory of God? Yep. That, you know, there is, there's something beyond this world that is much more valuable. Exactly right. And so the way you live your life, do it with, in, in light of eternity. Man, that is yeah. that's stout. And I think this stuff had stuck in the Hebrew mind, and yeah. I think that's what Paul may have been getting at from. This, these, these things, God has given the, these principles for them, for his people to, to look beyond hmm. the temporary life, but to look to eternity. So yeah. really cool. And I, I love that verse 14 that you talked about. God works so that people will be in awe of him. But it's so funny after you read verses like that, that, then you it's almost like you you go back to the next chapter is going to be more of the hopelessness stuff and so there's uh, there's one guy who said I was reading uh and studying for this I like that I'm going to find this cuz I I like the way he said this um he said this one guy said the book of Ecclesiastes is like an octopus just when you think all of the tentacles are under control there's one waving about in the air <laughs> and slapping you in the face exactly right. so you think you got it figured out and yeah. then you got all these other verses that go why does this you know it doesn't make any sense I love but, that um but anyway and i 
I, I like that. But there's a lot here in the book, and, and of course, we can't cover it all. But let me, uh, I won't go to the end of the book because the end of the book is pretty okay. cool. Um, um, let's see. Um, chapter 12, he sort of ends, um, he sort of ends this way. Let me just read the end of the, the very end of the book. He says, in addition to the teacher being a wise man, he constantly taught the people knowledge. He weighed, explored, and arranged many proverbs. Okay, we're still talking about Solomon there. Mm -hmm. The teacher sought to find delightful sayings and write words of truth accurately. The sayings of the wise are like cattle prods, and those from masters of collections are like firmly embedded nails. Their their sayings are given by only one shepherd. That The word shepherd is capitalized there, which we believe that shepherd is God. Mm -hmm. He says, but beyond these, my son, be warned. There is no end to the making of many books, and much study wearies the body. Amen to that, right? Amen to that. We've been there. All right. When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this. And so this is how he finally concludes all the chapters before this. He concludes it this way. He says, fear God and keep his commands, because this is for all humanity. Mm -hmm. For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. Wow. So he ends the book that way. And that is, some people have looked at it. Matter of fact, many, uh, many Jewish and Hebrew scribes uh, totally rejected this book because mm-hmm. they believed the entire thing was, was pessimistic. But when you get to the end of the book, there are, there, are, there are some things that are not quite so pessimistic throughout the book, but especially when you get to the end. He says, fear God, keep his commands. Yes. How many places in Scripture that say that same thing, mm-hmm. right? No doubt. Fear God, keep his commands. And, um, and this, is what, this is what Jesus tells us to do, that we're to love God, we're to love him, we're to obey him, we're yeah. to walk with him. The Bible teaches us this all the way through the New Testament. And this is how life is to be lived as a Christian. And we can only do that as we're living with eternity in our hearts. We have to just know that God built us for more than this. God yeah. built us for much more than what we see around us. Um, he built us to be with him and to live with him for eternity. So we can only experience the joy in this life as we see it from that perspective. So Ecclesiastes, I think, will help us. Will help us with that with uh, with seeing life this way. So it's it's pretty good. It, yeah, it's, it's a great. it's a great book. It's a great book. What a great profile of the book. And as you preach through this in the weeks to come, man, maybe we'll drop some of that knowledge in a future podcast as well because yeah, there cool. there is a lot there and and I think you really hit the nail on the head, sitting in context and fear God, keep His command. I mean, we, we, we need to do that yeah. for sure. Cool. Well, excellent, excellent discussion today. We're going to shift gears and conclude with a segment uh, that we, we like to do called Did You Know? Did You Know? And, Matt, I'm going to call upon you first right. if you have something. I do, actually. Throw out there. Um, this is a – I like stuff like this to make you really think about this. But did you know some experts have said that if all the bees on the earth were killed mm. – man would only survive about four or five years. Really? Yep. Because of all the things that the the, the bees pollinate, yeah. to keep the growth of, 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 fruits, of fruits and vegetables and all that yeah, kind of yeah. stuff, that we would only last four or five years if all the bees were killed. Isn't that incredible? Man, that is incredible. I've never thought about that until I read this. I read this sometime last year, and I thought, that is really cool. That is cool. And I've got a, a – there's a guy in my church who who is a – a beekeeper. Yeah. He takes care of his own bees and raises them and all that kind of stuff. And produces he does, honey and stuff? Yeah, he does. He produces honey. It's really good. And by the way, oh, he does something. Oh, I got This is, this is, all right, this is free information Bonus. here. Yeah. Bonus. He, one of the things that he does is that, um, one, like, if a bee stings you, one of the things that people are allergic to is the cortisone. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. But you know that people go to the doctor to get cortisone shots mm-hmm. in their knee and their joints. All that stuff. Well, this dude who owns the bees, he will go and take a bee once every few weeks, five, six weeks, so, and sting himself in the knee, in his joints. And he says, it's like going to the doctor getting a shot. Really? I'm, That's pretty genius. No lie. And he said... So I plan on doing this, honestly. <laughs> I plan on going out and getting stung on purpose. Uh, but he will. He'll take he'll take a couple of bees, one for each knee. And of course, it kills the bee uh, when he does that. And it has to be they have to be over like fifty degrees outside for them to be able to operate this way. But he'll he'll get one and he'll just sting himself, and it wow. releases enough cortisol in his joint <laughs> to That's to wild, supply what man. he needs for the next four or five weeks. That's crazy. That's I've wild. never heard of people doing that. Anyway. Well, it gives me a new respect for bees. Man. Yeah, so bees are yep. important. All right, what you yep. got? Oh, let's see. Um, all right, something from today. So did you know the swimming a mile is the equivalent to running four miles? Really? Okay. No, yeah, I did not know I, that. I know that's four to one ratio. And the only reason I'm concerned about that is because um, I swam a mile today, this morning, for the first time. And I was curious how it relates to running because, man, I don't like to run. I will run, especially when the weather's yeah, nice. But it just, man, it just hurts my body. So I love to swim, take up swimming, but I'm like, I wonder what the comparison is. So got on the internet because everything's true on the internet, yeah, right? Yeah, everything and, fine. Uh, but the comparison from marathonguide.com is is that four to one ratio. Really? Four I wonder miles why. to one mile. I mean, really, I wonder why. Because it yeah, seems the, like you're using your whole body when you run. You are. And it, it's it's based on time time and distance ratio. So like I swam a mile in about 40 minutes which if I'm at a 10-minute pace when I'm running, so that's going to be about four miles. So I I can see that, you know, maybe calorie burning is not the same or whatever. I don't know. But, man, it's a full-body workout. I mean, you know, it's more than just legs, but it is it is legs too. Uh, so I'm just going to say publicly, I am thoroughly <laughs> impressed that you well, can I'll swim. swim a I'll mile. swim a half mile, which is about 32 links in a in a pool. Most most pools are 25 meters, and so half a mile would be 32 laps. So I swam 64 laps, which is 1600 meters, and a mile is about 1609, give or take a little bit. So by the time you warm up and everything, you've you've swum a mile, swum swum a mile. That's a weird word. That is a weird word. Is that the right word? You have swum. Swim, swam, swam. I hope so. Maybe our listeners <laughs> I don't can, know, dude. <laughs> no. Swim, swam, swum. I thought. I don't know. Have swam? I see, I that hate those yeah, things. Man, man, English, English is crazy, man. But anyway, so, uh, well, you know, for those of you who don't like to run, but you might want to give a shot at swimming, you can do this. You can do this. And uh, how, Okay, how, let me ask you this question before we stop. How long have you been swimming like this? Uh, I mean, this is the first time I've ever swam a mile consecutively. So usually I do kind of chunks for because my time is limited. I'll yeah, do like yeah. um, you know, eight sets of of one hundred. So that's eight hundred meters. So that'd be half a mile. But you do it in time. And uh, sometimes you try to swim twenty five or fifty meters under like a minute, minute and a half, okay. something like that. Uh, but I wanted to go for distance today. I wanted to put put the mileage in, so to speak. And honestly, to see if I could do it, how yeah. what would I, you know, and uh, man, it, it worked. It worked really well. So I've been swimming really consistently for maybe seven or eight years, and um, and man, I, I just I, I love it. So you I know, like I'm kind of like some that. guys in my church like to do uh, triathlons yeah. and stuff. And there's actually a mini triathlon where you could swim two or three hundred meters, run 
a couple miles and bike, you know, 13 or 15 miles, something like that. Kind of a mini try. Yeah. And I've kind of been intrigued by that. That's I've cool. got the swimming down, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. I think I could run a couple miles pretty good. I just, I don't know about biking, but uh might be interesting. So. That's cool, man. Well, I'm, I'm yeah. proud of you. I'm, yeah. I'm very Thank impressed. You. All right. Well, I'm closed with the podcast. Thanks for listening to us uh, today. We're thankful. We hope and pray that you'll just continue to share uh, the podcast out there on social media. You can find it out there, Facebook and all that kind of good stuff. You can also go to the website, gospelrain.com, and you can find all of the previous episodes that we've done. So if you can't find them on your iTunes or whatever you're listening to, or we're also on Stitcher and uh, other places out there, any kind of uh, podcast app. But if you can't find all the episodes, you can go back on uh, the website and you can look at all of them. There's 70-something different episodes there. And hopefully those will help you and you can share those with others who might be uh, dealing with some issues in their life that maybe we have uh, spoken about and given some answers to. So anyway, uh, we uh, appreciate you listening to the Gospel Rain Podcast. We'll see you again next time. Thank you for joining us for the Gospel Rain Podcast. We hope you've been encouraged today and we pray the gospel will reign in your life this week. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter or check out our website, at gospelrain.com. Mm-hmm.